The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And I invite your attention this morning. Yes, I can always count on you singing up front. I invite your attention this morning to the book of First John. Uh, book of First John. If you're visiting with us, that is uh, in the Blue Bible on page 1021. Blue Bible, page 1021. I uh, just want to give another couple of commercials for you, especially those who are in our church. Uh, this Wednesday night, uh, the city of Kansas City and Bryn, Shore, Bryn Shore Development rather will be presenting plans about the Maples Corners project here at 6 p.m. Uh, and how that affects our church or doesn't affect our church uh, is a public meeting. Uh, they ask to have it at the church as a big location. Uh, you are welcome to come as part of that. Uh, if you're new to this, we emailed about it this week, but that is the woods from 48th Street and Randolph area just down the road, so just so you're aware of that. And also be in prayer. Also this Wednesday night, uh, Miss Verlene Awana is starting back. That is so hard to believe. Uh, if you have any kids that are under the, well, from age four all the way up to grade 12, really, they're welcome to come be a part of Awana starting on September 7th at our kickoff. You be in prayer for Ms. Verlene and her team. What a great ministry that is. God is so good to us as kids memorize the Word of God week after week. God is so good. And uh, special thanks to our deacons or a couple of our deacons for uh, cooking at the women's dinner last night. Uh, I hear that it went very well. So Steve and I think John, wherever you are, sir, uh, John, thank you also for your help with that. And ladies, thank you for hosting the dinner last night. All right, so this morning we're going to start a little bit differently than usual because I know, as I was thinking about the introduction, the hook, the attention grabber, every good speech starts with one of those. How do you get this going? Well, we're in a section of Scripture that is very, very clear about what it's very, very clear about. But there are some people, some big-name people that I will mention here in just a minute and I want you to know, before I did this, this is not picking on any bone uh, that I have to pick, but these three people that I'm going to quote are people that are very well known. But I want to share something that they've said with you about them and tie it to our lesson today, because it's so important. Because there are many people, as we get into the study, am I Christian or am I not, that follow into this path. These are what some of these people have said. Amy, let's throw these up. First one is this. One of these people said, you don't have to tell people what they're doing wrong. They already know. Well, take that, Paul, and half of the New Testament right there. You know, just throw it out with the baby in the bathwater. So another one said, God is knocking at the door of your heart. Only way he'll come in is if we invite him in. Well, that's a pretty pathetic Jesus you have there because my Jesus can knock down any door at any time, anywhere, right? That's my God. One of the others said, if you'll make someone else's day, God will always make your day. Well, he misspelled karma somewhere in there, and we don't believe in karma, so you can toss that one out as well. These are statements these people have said. Another one said, don't let something small keep you from releasing something, God releasing something big in your life today. Well, uh, again, my God is not that small that it's waiting on that. That's a whole other sermon. And this one was the last one I loved. If Jesus were here today, he wouldn't be riding around on a donkey. He'd be taking a plane. I want you to hold that thought 
before we do the reveal, and we got to get a drum roll or something, before we do the reveal on these people, friends, I want you to know this. These people collectively around the world have almost a half a million followers on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you name it, YouTube. And these are people that people look to for guidance. And I want you to know that what I'm about to do, I'm not doing in a mean-spirited way. I can do it in a mean-spirited way, but that's not biblical or godly. The faces I'm going to show you are very popular. And if you listen to these people, please know this is not me pointing at you, but I do want you to know what they teach. Because this is what leads to truth and what leads into where we're at in 1 John. So Amy, without any further ado, reveal. Joel Osteen had two of these phrases. He was the one that said the donkey and the plane. You should probably catch that one. Joyce Meyer out of St. Louis and T.D. Jakes out of the Potter's House in Texas. Friends, these are people that have proclaimed to be pastors, teachers, that have said some many things. And, and let's be honest, even from the pulpit, I will say things that you need to come to me and correct me on. But as a life, as a tenor of ministry, what we are going to be getting into in 1 John is nothing of what they teach. And that should concern you. Because these people have a half a million followers. Think United States, Canada, and the polar bears. And then the, the, the country of Greenland is 500 million people. Is that a lot of people, folks? It's a lot of people. Look, these are people that Proverbs 14, 15 says this about. And this will be up on the screen. It says, the simple believe every word, but the prudent considers his steps. Or a naive person believes everything, but the shrewd person discerns his stress. Contrast this prosperity gospel that they teach with actual Christianity, which is coherent, which makes sense in every culture, and it falls short. And to be honest, these three were advising, if you remember a couple of years ago, the History Channel, the Bible series. To be clear, the guy who says it's not a gift to explain the Bible, Joel Olstein, says that he was advising the Bible show. I want you to find that irony right there. Their sermons make me want to shoot my eye out and lick a frozen pole at the same time. (laughs) And I'm not doing that to get a reaction out of you, friends. This is the truth. So the question comes back to us and what we're at in 1 John. This is why we go verse to verse. This is not your pastor just picking a bone about three people. This is going verse by verse about what John has told us. What makes you a Christian? What makes you not? Does it really matter what you believe? Beyond believing in a providential God who wound up the universe and somehow is out there, does it really matter what you believe? I mean, really, if you're really a good person and believe in a God and live a good life, does it really matter what the fine print says? Because after all, who reads the instructions anyway, right? I don't. We try and get it together. My wife, being the smart one, reads them and puts it together faster than I ever could. And we know that details of what you believe matter in things like concrete. When you don't add a teaspoon or a cup of water, you may add 12 parts of water to make the quick creek come together. You see that this makes sense in practical life. But really, in the metaphysical realm, does it really matter what you believe? Or can you believe whatever you want to believe? Friends, let me tell you what the big idea is here today. If you're visiting with us, the big idea is kind of a, a rifle shot of what the Bible says or a scripture text says, a kind of a summary, if you will, of everything, and it's this. For every biblical truth, there is a matching falsehood. And a Christian is known not by what he only rejects or believes, but also by what he rejects. We're called not only to discern truth from falsehood, but half-truth from full truth. Having false teachers tell me to read my Bible is like having Ronald McDonald tell me to eat healthy. Do you see that? 
You never know how much you really believe, C.S. Lewis said, until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death for you. And friends, I am here to encourage you to tell you we don't have to guess what the Bible believes. It's so utterly true. And so the points today are right out of the verses, and it's very straight. We've been asking questions the last several weeks, and it always starts with, can I know God and fill in the blank? This week's question is this, can I know God and believe what I want? What is the answer to that? The answer is no. And two points come out of this, very clear cut. It does matter what you believe. Chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 John. And then how do we know what to test? How do you know, pastor, that you're not the one who is the prosperity gospel teaching things that are not true? Or your church or, 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 or any denomination? Well, it comes back to what we know from the scripture. And John believes, as we saw last week, that drawing a compare and contrast is the best way to teach. Parents, you know this. Do this, you get this. Do this, and oh golly, you'll get me and this. You know, that's how we parent. We have to show truth and, and, and lies. And John has done that for us in the last several weeks. He has told us that there's truth and falsehood. There are children of God and children of the devil. There's love and there's hatred for the brothers. And now he's going to show us that there is the Spirit of God, those who truly are in Christ and those who are the Spirit of the Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but the Spirit of the Antichrist. That's where we're headed today. And please hear me, I, this is not just beating a dead drum. Friends, this is what the Scripture talks about over and over and over. Because in times such as these that we live in, well, remember, Abraham Lincoln said, don't believe everything that you see on the Internet, right? Remember, Abraham Lincoln was not around in the Internet, so let that sink in for a second. But you remember that in these times where a click away seems so good, this article looks so great, is it really gospel truth or is it just someone's opinion? Well, let's pray and read God's opinion on what he has to say. If you'll join me in standing, if you're able this morning in honor of God's word, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, which is the Pew Bible Version, just for consistency. Paul says this. He says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard has been com- or is coming and now is in the world already. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, and for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We just sang about that. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, verse 6. Whoever listens to us, whoever is not from God, does not listen to us. But by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As a pastor, this is a tough passage because it's so easy just to cut with truth. But I pray we do that with grace. I pray we do that with mercy, and I pray we do that with humbleness as we go before the Lord today. We pray with me as we start off this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for John, who was writing in the midst of a culture that believed in millions of gods publicly and privately. And Father, how true that is today, although we don't have idols up in every house. Father, we have idols of consumerism and home improvement and the perfect family and and the perfect job or the perfect spouse or whatever it may be, or status or popularity. Father, our idols are different. They're not graven so much physically, but they are graven 
spiritually in our hearts today. Father, I pray this morning that you reaffirm to us what your truth is and what your truth is not. Not to be a narrow-minded bigot, Lord, but to stand with grace and boldness and humility and respect on your word. For Father, if the truth and everything that the truth contains is not in your word, then we are here for nothing this morning. But praise you, Lord, that your son, fully God, fully man, died on the cross. He rose again physically. He came back. He ascended. And because of his continuation of life through the eternal raising of him, Lord, we now have truth and we can live it out. Father, we pray for much wisdom this morning, and we ask this alone in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this is a very, uh, how many of y'all have, have memorized that verse, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Has anyone memorized that before? I think that's an Awana verse, actually, too. But what John starts out with before we get to that road is it does matter what you believe. It does matter. It really does. John says in verse 1 to be very careful what you believe. Because Christians believe, as Christians, we believe that there is one objective real world besides this physical world. We believe in a spiritual world, folks. We do. We believe that's very, very true. People who tell you about the spiritual world are called pastors, prophets, they're, they're, they're teachers. And what John is saying here right from the get-go is very simply this. He is saying that there are people who will tell you that there is not a spiritual world, that there is only this world before us. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, I'm, when I die, I'm just going to be buried six feet under, and that's life, and that's it? You heard that before? That's it. That shows our carnal view of life. We believe, most often in this culture, that there are people that are just going to, we're just here to be born and, and die, and that's it. Live the life, make a difference, but really that's all there is. It's a really scary philosophy. That turned into concentration camps in World War II. It turns into genocide uh, in uh, Pol, Pot, Pol Pot's time. It's a very crazy thing. What you believe about life informs what you believe about everything else. And as Christians, we believe that we are to not believe every spirit. What does that word spirit mean? Well, the word spirit is not some cast for the ghost. Halloween, I, I was at the store the other day, Dollar Tree. They already had out their fall Halloween stuff. Is it that time of year already? It's crazy. It doesn't mean there's a cast for the ghost floating around and you have to discern, is this the ghost of Christmas past or the ghost of not what we're talking about. What John is saying is there are people who are going to mislead you. Now, is John just a paranoid, shored up at the end of his life on the island of Patmos, waiting for some great revelation? Well, we have that. It's called the book of Revelation. But no, actually, Paul, Peter, Jesus all warned about several different times to be aware of false prophets and false teachers and lying teachers. And Christianity teaches that it matters greatly what you believe. It really does. You can't just have an opinion or a nice, quaint discussion. What you believe about death, about the nature of man, about the nature of God, sin, evil, all impacts what you do on a daily life. It really does. If you believe life isn't important, then you're okay to say, uh, like I saw a, a cartoon this week on Facebook where the young lady ha had a pregnancy test and she said, oh man, my mom is going to kill me. And the baby inside said, oh man, my mom is going to kill me. Because that young lady believed that life was not important and therefore her life, her reputation, her relationship with her mom was more important than the human being, the person growing inside of her. And take that to the spiritual realm. 
if you believe that life is only what you make of it and how you create your own destiny, as those three popular pe- preachers said, that what you say creates, your words create your destiny, then friends, God created nothing for nothing. Because he spoke and created everything. I have tried to will up several times for our kids to go to bed on time. And I've pleaded with them, you will go to bed. And at times that works, and at times they scream and cry and go running out the opposite way. Amen? How many of y'all have, you all remember those days? I've asked a lot of older parents, do you remember those days? And they said, that was the best time of forgetting in my life I ever had. And it's very true. But beware of subtle arrogance that you would tell only your experience and perception and not know what the objective truth is. John says it matters what we believe because you can't just believe anything over this life. Just because you don't believe that something is real or will not happen does not make it right. I would love to go out on 435 and stare down that Mack truck that comes down once a day and we hear it in the office. I mean, they just go on that highway and just stare at it and say, you know what, I don't believe you're going to hit me. And just wait and see what happens, right? Actual reality says otherwise. There is an objective truth somewhere. And that's why as Christians, the first application point here is we must be aware and discerning, yes, because it matters what we believe. Someone once said, Pastor, you know, theology is for the birds. I don't believe that I have to study the Bible like you. I just want to love people. Well, friends, you can't love people properly unless you know how God has first loved you in Jesus Christ. You can't share the love of Christ with others if you're not sure what that love is. Because, look, a lot of people go around in the name of Jesus saying, Christ loves you. Jesus has a plan for your life. But that doesn't make them true or correct. As Christians, we should look like the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, and search the word daily to discern the truth of God. Because, friend, there are many false teachers in this world today. Many false teachers. There are individuals who speak falsely, who don't tell the truth. And we must be mature enough to discern that. As pastor, I stand before God someday. Matt stands before God. Mark, as a pastor, stands before God. Anyone who is shepherding of some sort at any time, a Sunday school teacher, stands before God someday of higher account. Those loose words that we say, those things that we taught, will be scrutinized by the Lord himself on that day. That's why... As you pray this week for us, as we prepare messages, as you pray for your Sunday school teacher, pray that they will be mature and test everything because we will be held to a higher standard. That's why teaching is such a high calling, not because we're better than anyone else, but because of the restrictions that God puts on it, because truth matters. But friends, that's the second point. It's up there. One of the challenges of being a Christian in this day and age, and in John's day and age, is to be theologically discerning, but avoiding a spirit of criticism. There is a difference there. You can correct someone biblically and still do it theologically well, biblically well. But the question is, what is your spirit when you go into that? If you were to go back to Galatians chapter 2, Peter, if you remember the story, those of you who have been around the church, Peter had been given a vision by God in Acts chapter 10 before that that said, look, the gospel is not just for you Jews, it's for everybody. And Peter had gone and ate with the Gentiles, which way back then you don't do, they just didn't cross Jews and Gentiles. And Peter got to the point where he was eating with Gentiles, but then Paul comes and visits him in Galatians chapter 2. And Peter is refusing to eat with the Gentiles because the Jews are there. It's kind of like that person who's your best friend when you're with them one-to-one, but when that other crowd comes around, what happens? They end up going to that other crowd. Anyone ever had that happen before? A few of y'all? And Peter says, or Paul says to Peter, no, 
Don't do that. I am calling you out for your hypocrisy. God gave you a vision, Peter. Be careful. Test the spirits. He said that the gospel is for everyone. He was theologically correct, but he did it in a way that was still displaying grace to him, and Peter was restored, we know. So how do you do this? 1 Peter 3.15, I encourage you to write it down. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. Some of the most ugly discussions I have seen have happened on social media about things related to politics this last several months. Many of you all have defriended people if you have Facebook or Twitter because of those very discussions. Some of the best discussions I have seen have come from Christians who have tried to live out this verse, and some tough issues nonetheless, but trying to stand for biblical truth while displaying grace to say, you know, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, have you considered this? And there is a way to do that. Friends, we cannot as a church go forward unless we have our ducks in a row, but we can't have our ducks in a row unless we know what those ducks are. And speaking of ducks, here's a good illustration about ducks. I'm not a duck hunter. In fact, the only duck hunting I did was on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, if you remember that, uh, you could cheat in that game by putting the gun up to the, the screen and shooting all the ducks down. That was the easiest way to win that game. But you know, duck hunters use decoys, don't they? Duck hunters today use decoys. And I, I looked this up because I thought this was very interesting. Do we have any duck hunters here? Any duck hunters? Deer hunters, I know. John, I know you're a deer hunter. Uh, Cameron, you're a duck hunter. They have ducks that are so sophisticated. You can pay $2,000 for a fake duck that like walks around and quacks and all this stuff, and it has the real feathers on it. It's like, man, I can fix my car for $2,000 for that, right? And these ducks look really real. And what's the point? The, ducks are, the, the duck hunters are, of course, using the details of a duck to make it quack like a duck, move like a duck, act like a duck, so that when the real ducks end up showing up, they end up dead ducks because they couldn't tell what was real and what was false. Right? I've never done duck hunting except on Nintendo, so please forgive me, but that's what I know from researching. Before the Christian, there are many roving decoys out there, and our job as Christians is to not be set apart by, by these decoys that seem to act like the real thing, talk like the real thing, move like the real thing, when at the end we end up like those dead ducks, spiritually speaking. We must evaluate and test the spirits. Friends, if what you are listening to, reading, uh, analyzing on social media does not line up with the Word of God, be very careful. Be very, very careful. Does this mean you should never read any non-Christian literature? I didn't say that. But it does mean when you do that you better know what you believe before you open up that can of worms. Because you can easily be misled. Easily, easily be misled. You know, our Jehovah's Witnesses friends, again, with their freedom to believe what they believe in this country, they have started to make their, their watchtower literature very slick, very presentable. It looks really contemporary. Like if you were to take the watchtower material and go downtown to the Nelson and look at those two things, you would almost not tell a stylistic difference. Why are they doing that? Because they know most people will not pick it up if it says Watchtower on it, or at least not big on there. But if it looks cool, if it talks cool, if it acts cool, then perhaps they'll read it. But what are they getting when they go into it? Not biblical truth. Test the spirits. Christian today, do you know your Bible well enough? Are you in your Bible enough to discern what is truth and what is error? That is the first thing he says. Can I know God and believe anything? No. 
but you need to believe the truth. Second point is this. How do we know what to test? So Darren, I get the point. Okay, I see what you're saying. You have to be able to discern truth from error. We know that. But what does that look like practically? Well, that's what we're going to get into the next couple of verses. Let's read back through verses 2 through 6 quickly. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit, verse 3, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming, and now in the world is in the world already. Little children, term of endearment there, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Praise the Lord for that. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever uh, knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So how should we test what people tell us to believe? That begs the question. How do we test it? How do we evaluate it? Uh, We have some chemists in here. You know, you, you take an acid, a litmus test. What standards of judgment are out there? Well, first off, in verses 2 and 3, he tells us the way that we test a false teacher is their attitude towards Christ. Their attitude towards Christ. Look, John says we can test a person's attitude towards Christ to see whether they know Jesus Christ. John says there are antichrists in the world, and these are people who teach false things about the biblical Jesus. There's always been a popular debate about Jesus' return, his coming to earth, and the time of his return. What John is saying is these truths are clear in Scripture. And friends, that is our real problem. Our real problem is that every one of us is building an identity on something other than Jesus himself. These false teachers will take a little bit of Jesus and throw a little bit of everything else they want in inside. If Jesus Christ is not central in the ministry of people that we listen to, consume, watch on TV, read stuff of, then be very, very careful. You say, well, Darren, they raise their Bibles every time and say, this is my Bible. This is God's word for me. This is that and the other. Well, that's interesting because every quote that comes out of there is always paraphrased or uh, is out of context or something like that. Be very careful who you listen to. Friends, this is why we want our church to be gospel-centered. You hear that a lot. What is the vision plan for our church? Our plan is to look at every area of the church and to know, is this gospel-centered? Is it not gospel-centered? Is Christ more proclaimed clearly through this than that? Is it more muddy through this than that? That's what we want to do. Because your attitude towards Christ makes a big difference. If Jesus Christ is only used as a, uh, in football terms, if Jesus Christ is only used as the kickoff to get you down on the the field to play the rest of the game, then you've missed the whole point of who Jesus is. If a sermon starts with only a quote of the Bible and ends up chasing a rabbit trail about who knows what, then you've missed the point of who Christ is. Everything we do from front to back points to Jesus. Aren't you grateful about that? Some of you going through 1 Samuel right now uh, in Sunday school and small groups, you know it's, it's, isn't it an interesting book? It really is. Saul, they're sitting at the dinner table. Saul takes a spear and, uh, oh, by the way, whoop! David, uh, that just went by your head. Uh, who does it? I don't know if you throw spears at your house. We don't. But uh, you can understand that the Bible, sometimes you look at things, you say, what does that have to do with anything? It goes back to Christ. Saul is a picture of a false Christ. David is a picture, an image, a a portraying, a shadowing of Christ. 
And when a preacher gets up, the most fundamental thing is who Jesus is. And that's why John says here, he's very clear about the truth. He says, anyone that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Well, Darren, what do you do with those who do? Well, who do they say Jesus is? Because there's a lot of people today who say Jesus is just another person among gods, or the Father is dead, the, the, the Son is dead, now the Spirit lives. Friends, if the Father is dead and the Son is dead, then we don't have a God. We have a third of a God at best, if you want to say that very thing. Friends, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came on this earth to die for sinners such as us. He was resurrected from the dead, not as a big symbol, though it was symbolic, but as a literal bodily resurrection, and that is what we hang our hat on. If Jesus is not back from the dead, we should just leave right now. Go drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die, the proverb says. But if we believe that Christ is at the heart of the Christian faith, then everyone we talk to, we evaluate, we look at, should be at that very point. Say, Darren, that's not new news to me, but maybe it should be a good reminder. Friends, this week, have you trusted more in what God has said in His Word than what your horoscope has said? What your favorite comedian has said? What your favorite whatever has said? What is their attitude towards Christ? That's the first thing. Second thing, he says, how do you test these false teachers? You see, secondly, that you test their attitude towards the world. Look back at verses 4 and 5, especially verse 5. He says, little children, now you are from God and have overcome them. Who, who are the little children? Little children, of course, are the Christians. He's not doing this. Uh, again, these are not his physical children. These are spiritual children, if you will, people who come to know Christ, perhaps through John, more likely, most likely from others. Little children, you, that's y'all, are from God. Y'all, I know, southern accent. I've been trying to perfect that the last several weeks. Y'all are from God. And have overcome them. What does that mean? Does that mean that all our ills and all the bad stuff of this world is gone? Friends, I don't know what world you live in, but they're still around today. What this means is, is that if you hold to this truth, you have nothing to fear in this life. You really don't. When you know the truth about who God is and what He says about the attitude of the world, then you know that God is so good that He will protect us from truth and error. That if you know the basics, that is where you start. The world here is not the physical cosmos. It's not the created earth or the, the ball hurling through outer space. The world that John refers to is the same world that Matt preached about about six weeks ago. It's the world, it's systems, it's, it's people, it's spirits in rebellion against God. And the simple fact is, is that man wants nothing to do with this God outside of knowing Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, little children... You are from God and have overcome them. How have you overcome them? Did you will yourself to do it? Did you try hard enough? Did you keep that New Year's resolution to pump iron for eight months and you're stronger than you've ever been? If that's you, praise the Lord, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying is you have overcome the world because of who? Who's the source? You are from God. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look, the world can muster every army. The world can muster every nuclear war. The world can muster everything that it can bring at it. The best intellectuals, the best cooks, the best mechanics, the best soccer players, the best football players, the best Olympians. And we could take on God no better, no better than a flea could knock down the Empire State Building 
times 10,000 times 10,000. Because our God reigns. Because our God reigns. We are naturally rebels, and there, this world is bursting forth, bursting forth with false teaching. Friends, we should never be surprised then that the, the world hates Christianity. The world hates Christians. Jesus said that. We should never be surprised that unsaved people are comfortable being religious and spiritual, but don't like talking about who Jesus really is. This is why there is a difference between what Christians believe and what Islam believes. Islam believes that uh, our Christians don't believe that any amount of physical coercion, physical coercion can bring about spiritual conversion. The Crusades tried that, and it was a, it was a mess because they weren't Christ-centered or knew Christ at all. And there's no political order, Christians believe, unlike Islam, that can bring us back to God. We are by nature's rebel, and our best efforts are fallen and sinful at best. Friends, that's why no matter if we get a solid, gospel-centered pastor into the White House, that America will not go back to a golden age. Friends, the world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus. Can I say that again? And friends, the gospel will always be an offense in your life if you truly know Christ. You cannot sugarcoat Jesus enough to make it palatable to the world. I remember clearly, how many of y'all have parents who used to bring ice cream or something when you were sick because you hated those horse pills, amen? And you had to take it with something sweet because just the taste or something of it, I still do that as an adult, it goes in ice cream. That's what happens. You can sugarcoat those pills to a thing, but friends, the world will never, ever be a fan of Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus of the Bible, at least. Maybe the Jesus of the culture. We should not expect secular sources to understand secular or sacred truths. Remember, the cross is a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others. To many of you right now who may not know Christ, this may be a stench of death to you. Why, is this, why am I listening to this guy? Seriously? Friends, we cannot follow Jesus and popularity. We can't follow a Savior who is expected to be the most popular person in the world and at the same time says, take up your cross and follow me. Count your losses, Christian. This is why Christianity is a narrow gate, not a wide gate that leads to destruction. And John is not discouraged because the world not liking Jesus. He's not discouraged at all. He doesn't say, man, if we could just become a Fortune 500 company, if we can just get the best ad people out here and spin this the right way, even though our, our, our leader said some controversial things, we can just say, oh, he was off his teleprompter. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is John is encouraged because he who is writing are of God and have overcome the system aligned against Christ. Why is he so hopeful? Why? Because John says, the Spirit is in you. Look back here at verse 5, friends. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And down in verse 6, he's going to remind you, if you're a Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. That is how you overcome the world. What a great thing. Please hear this clearly, and I've beat this drum the last several weeks, but church, as Tower View, we are not going to win people by the power of our programs. We are not going to win people by the power of our planning. Although we should do all things with excellence in those, we are going to win people when we realize that everything we do goes back to this truth. Is Jesus proclaimed through it, or is Jesus not? And if Jesus is not, we don't go there. That's why we put the fog machine back in the back, so, so you don't have to have that. That's a joke. 
Fog machines do not win people to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, working through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the faithfulness of His people, equals eternal success. Amen? That is God's truth. Dear friend, what is your hope centered on today? Is your hope centered on God's Spirit alive and working in your life? Is, is your hope centered on the church victorious because Christ is work on the cross? Christian, is your hope uh, on the firstborn from the dead, the first man to get up from the grave, and the forerunner and holder of the keys of all these things? I pray that's what our church is aiming for as we become gospel-centered. Friends, as Christians, we have every reason to be hopeful because what we have before us is better than what we have behind us. This does not mean that tomorrow will actually be a better day than someday last week, but we look forward to the day when God will make all things right through Christ, and even now we have the power of the Spirit that teaches us truth from error. Our joy is built upon the rock of hope, Jesus Christ, not on successes that are here today and gone tomorrow. Friends, I am proud to be a Southern Baptist. I really am. But in our history, we've often counted more numbers as successes than changed lives as successes. Changed lives are our goal here. And if that, means, if that means that God brings us one baptism this year, then praise God for that one baptism. Amen? If God brings us 50,000 people to be baptized, uh, Don, you better start that new building. That's all I can say. But look, friends, we be faithful to what God has given us. And we don't match our methods, our ways, our doctrine with the world. And God will bless that. He will. This doesn't mean we're going back to the old dead guys that we dress a certain way, put on the fake hair wigs and all that sort of thing. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying, though, is that we have hope greater than anything the world can offer, anything anyone in a think tank can bring us. We have the Word of God working through His Spirit, through the power of His people. That is what we have. And that's how you discern a false teacher from not. As friends, if the ministry is built on everything the world brings, then be guess and know that they probably are not Christ-centered, gospel-centered. What's the last piece? We'll end with this. How do you discern what the Bible says about truth and what is error? First, you test their attitude towards Christ. You test their attitude towards the world. And last, verse 6, you test their attitude towards us. Towards us. John says that those who belong to God follow the faithful people of God. Worldly people don't listen to, obey, or follow the faithful people of God. To some, even following godly leaders seems an odd test. But friends, this is what it's all about. Look back at verse 6. This is John writing, we. Remember, he's used that we all throughout this book. Go back to chapter 1. That we saw, we heard, we tested, we did all these things. We are from God. Whew, that's a bold statement. Someone gets up today and says, we are from God. They're going to look at you and be like, what did you have last night for dinner? What are you on? I don't mean that in any dumb way. People will look at you like that. But friends, he's very clear here. We are from God. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Friends, such... <coughs> excuse me for a second. Such people who don't know God wouldn't choose heresy over schism like a local bishop who recently in, in Washington, D.C. This is a news that came out in the last month. A local bishop recently encouraged his congregants to always choose heresy, what he called a mere wrong opinion over schism of a divided body. And this, this bishop in uh, D.C. was mistaken. Look, if you have the wrong doctrine, you can't, you, there's no reason to come together. Do you get that? Do you see that? If we don't agree on what the Bible says, then friends, we've missed the boat on everything else. Sports bring us together because we, we rally around a team. And that's great, and we should, and it's fun to do. 
but spiritually, we must follow men and women who've been faithful to God's Word. We must follow those who are willing to stand, even when it's hard, for God's Word. And you pray for Matt, myself, or for Mark as he leads in the interim, for Gilbert as he comes in a few weeks, that we would stand on God's Word, folks. It's hard. I want you to know that's hard. As a pastor, there are many cultural things today that seem archaic that we hold to, such as under what circumstances do you marry, especially. I mean, lest we forget that it's been a year, folks, since our country redefined what it means to be married. And there are many pastors who I, I've heard on the blogospheres and, and, and social media say, well, you know, I hold to the gospel that God is it's God's word, but maybe this will be a chance to witness to someone. If, if a same-sex couple comes in and wants to be married, maybe I should marry them because, you know, God, God this gives me a chance to tell them the truth. What? God's word says otherwise. With respect and love and boldness. God says that marriage is between one man and one woman, and, and to go anywhere else goes with that. And John says, look, that type of thought is of the world. Don't go there. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Christian, how do you respond to God's word? Does God's word shape every decision that you make? I'll be honest with you, one of the hardest things we have had to do in our marriage is raise an autistic son, our son Simeon. I think many of you know that. Uh, we don't say that for your pity. We just ask for your prayers. But, you know, we've had some tough decisions the last few weeks with Simeon. Do we keep him in a public school where he's not getting therapy? Do we send him to a private school? What, what do we do with that? And we've had to ask, you know, are we abdicating our responsibility as parents by sending him to therapy? There's a lot of those big decisions that are life decisions you have to make that affects your child or your son or your company or your church or whatever. But I pray that our hearts at home are, are warm to God's Word, and, and you pray for us in that. We would appreciate that. But it's hard. Many of you are in that right now. But is your heart, no matter what God says, whether it's answering your prayer, it's saying no to your prayer, it's saying wait for your prayer, is your heart set? God, whatever it is, let it be so. Not, oh man, God, I'll do whatever you say. But is your heart open to what God has for you. And John says, how do you know a false teacher from a true one is that the world won't submit to God's word, but a, a godly teacher will. And I think some of you in this congregation, you know who you are. When I've gone wayward, not necessarily theologically, but just as you've noticed things, I appreciate the men and women of this church who come and say, Pastor, what about this? That, that warms my heart in conviction by what God does. Friends, one way we can show we believe God and the truth is to listen to it and obey it when it's even against our desires. Even when it's against our desires. I'll close with this story. And it's about a pastor who came to a new church. I always love these stories because uh, pastors are a lot of fun coming to new churches. pastor came to a new church and after several months he got to know two, that's four, two brothers. These brothers were multi-millionaires, but they weren't godly men. And the pastor wanted his church to be built on an authentic and godly ministry. And so as time went on and through this young pastor's life, one of the rich brothers died. And the old other brother, who was still alive, went to the pastor and said, Now, pastor, I know you're going to do the funeral. I know you're going to do that in a couple of days. And I also know you want to build a brand new church. Oh, boy, you know where this is headed. So he says, I'll tell you what, I'll put the money in the church's account to build a brand new church if you say at my brother's funeral that he was a saint among saints. All you've got to do, pastor, is say that he was a saint, and you don't have to worry about that new church building ever again. Ooh. The pastor felt themselves on the horn of a dilemma. How many of y'all would feel a little awkward in that situation? 
Uh, many of you would not feel awkward. You need to step in his shoes. On one hand, he wanted to be authentic. He wanted to be godly. But on the other hand, the church needed the money. And so the question was, how do you build his new church with the money sitting right in front of him and yet be authentic with when this guy was a scoundrel, a crook, and a wicked man? What do you do with that? So the pastor told the brother, he called him up and he said, I'll do it. He said, I'm going to do it. The businessman wrote out a check instantly, electronically delivered it, just like they do in the movies, you know, when it's down to five seconds and it just shows up in the bank account. It was there, and the pastor checked it, and it came time for the funeral. Five minutes before the funeral, he gets up. He got up to give the eulogy, and he stood up. The pastor said, folks, we're here today to eulogize a very ungodly sinner. He was a very wicked man and was unfaithful to his wife. He was hot-tempered. He abused his children. He was a scoundrel in his business, and he was a hypocrite. But compared to his brother sitting over here, you better believe he was a saint. (laughs) I love that story. I love that story. Friends, you've got to be careful what you buy into. And there's a lot of ethical questions you can ask about that story. But I think the one takeaway is this. That pastor had a right motivation, at least in this. Jesus is concerned about truth and authenticity. He wants you not to follow a leader that's going to do whatever it takes to get a church building built or whatever it is. He wants you to follow and listen and discern and be truthful about what is before you. And sometimes, friends, that takes some serious hard decisions to make. Would you pray for our church members and regular attenders that we would stand on the word of God? We'll pray for you and your families that you do the same. Because, friends, this world is... And trust me, outside of Jesus Christ, we are that brother times 100. Amen? But because of Christ, and he saved us, we have grace. Grace, grace, grace. God is so good. Let's pray. Father, as we close today, as we think about a a silly pastor story and things that come with that, we also know, Lord, that you desire in our inmost parts truth and authenticity. Father, yet we be reminded that we are like those brothers. We are scoundrels outside of Christ. We are rebel rousers. We are, uh, we, we are dead in our sin. We are so bad, Lord, that your son, divine as he was, human as he was, had to die uh, a martyr's death to give us what we need in eternal life. Father, I thank you that on that cross, Christ didn't just take a part of the wrath we deserve. He took it all. He was our propitiation. He was our sacrifice, our substitution. Father, in his victorious sacrifice, we have all that we need for truth and godliness in this day by and through the leading of your spirit in our lives. Father, I just pray today that for anyone in this congregation that you give great discernment to what we listen to, what we do. Father, I, I know that, Father, that is the, for certain people that are at a different stage, that'll mean certain things. For others, it'll mean a certain thing. Father, keep us on the truth of your word. Father, even if it sounds good to our ears, may we ask the question, what does your word do with this? Father, and I pray and I thank you that we can know you and believe what is right, but to not believe what you teach is to not know you or believe in you. Father, thank you so much for this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.